0: fascinating gadgets gizmos and gear based technologies Hello, and welcome to another episode of Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We do that. We are The Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J.
1: Glenn. With me, physics
0: phenom, Dr.
1: Michael Dennett. Great to be here, Dan. I am so excited about this episode. One of my favorite shows, and it's so nice To travel to the past to visit the future.
0: I completely agree. I'm really excited about this one. And I think I got someone else who's very excited about this. And that's our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siepzer. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week?
2: You know, Dan, I'm here in a futuristic but also very retro apartment, and there's this strange dog here that seems to be talking in its sleep.
0: Well, I think we're going to be able to explain that because I can see a little astro behind you, and that means we're talking about the Jetsons here, guys. And I, like Denon, I love the Jetsons, and I got a couple of fun facts for you. Number one... Jetsons was the second animation in primetime coming after The Flintstones, and it was only on for one season. This feels like such an iconic show. I was shocked to learn that there's only 24 episodes of the 1962 to 1963 season. I know it sounds silly, but, Denon, I
1: feel like you have strong feelings on this. Well, you know, it was really interesting. I did some research on that, and when I discovered it was only one season, I was shocked like you. And then I read that one of the main appeals of the show was the use of color And most people had a black and white TV and the colors they chose didn't really look well or look that good in black and white. And so I think that was part of the reason people didn't get as excited as we are.
0: I think that makes sense. But I got something else for you, Denon, and especially for you, Ben, that's going to make you really excited. I did some digging. I did some investigative work and I found out something that's going to blow both of your minds. Might blow that hat right off your head, Denon. Here we go. George Jetson, his boss, famously is Cosmo Spacely. Well, it turns out that because this show takes place in 2062, that man is the great-great-great-grandson of Cosmo Kramer from Seinfeld. Ben, how do you feel about this revelation?
2: You know, it's fascinating. I would love to hear where that uh, where that story comes from.
0: Well, we don't have time to go into that right now. What we need to do is talk about the Jetsons. And one of the things I think we're all going to agree is the Jetsons had fun, futuristic technology, and they got a lot of things right. They were uh, b- very prophetic in that way. Denon, what were some of your favorite things, some favorite technologies, gadgets, gizmos? It can be gear-based. I don't care. That's what the
1: show's about. What were your favorite from the Jetsons? I think my top is flat screen TVs. You know, it it is an interesting thing to think about because there's a big leap between having vacuum tubes and not. (laughs) Um, I don't know that TVs in the 60s still had vacuum tubes, but they certainly were very big. Um, And and then, you know, you get to the flat screen um, and they were predicting that. Even better, they had the TVs that went up into the ceiling. I haven't seen one yet in any house I've visited, but I'm sure they exist. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's a great one! I didn't think about that because everyone's mounting them on the wall. What about a retractable television? They they didn't predict that, but they absolutely should have. I love that, um, Ben. What were some of your favorite technologies from the, from this era?
2: So I think the most interesting thing that I thought uh, that they got right was uh, along the lines with the TV. It's the video conferencing. It's the video calls. You know, all all. You know, there's no more plain old boring just audio phones in the Jetsons. They've got the video phones just like we have now. I'm glad that you
0: mentioned that because if one of you didn't and we're sitting on a video call right now, please watch us on YouTube. Uh, I've been very disappointed in you. So that is that is a good one, Ben. I'm with you on that. My favorite is the robotic vacuum cleaner. Th- these things look almost exactly like a Roomba and it plugs in, it goes around. It's not nuclear powered like it is in the Jetsons, but I do that is one of my favorite technologies that they that they got right pretty
1: much. Dan, in this space, I have a quick question for you as the analytical mastermind. You got to Hit me with it, Denim. So I'm curious because it just occurred to me now, and I should have checked this before the show. I apologize. The moving sidewalks, did they have moving sidewalks in the 60s in airports yet? Or was that like a 70s, 80s thing? Because I feel like that's an interesting minor little subtlety. We obviously don't have them in our houses, but we have them in airports.
0: That's a great question, and I'm going to tell you that they did not have them in the 60s. People were still carrying those big, heavy luggage, all that luggage around, and I don't think that they had those back then. Um, I'm going to look, though, and find out. I'm going to post it. We'll, we'll we'll talk about it on social media. What do you think about that? We'll find out. Wh- I think wh-
1: that's good to do.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. I've, they definitely had escalators by then, so at the very least, it's somewhat of an extension of that. <laughs> That's no, true. it's
1: true, but I don't remember as a kid ever getting to go on a moving sidewalk until yeah. I was older. No, I, I don't either, and I'm surprised. That's actually
0: one I'm surprised that they haven't incorporated into all of the shopping centers. But I got to tell you, I think people in the Jetsons would have been a little more round had they have walking, <laughs> they had moving sidewalks everywhere. But I digress.
2: <laughs> well, clearly their food machines just have really high-quality diets and uh, science behind their food, and that, that's how they're handling that problem.
0: I think that's a, good, that's a good point. They've cut all the extra calories out of their 3D-printed food. That might be the solve, Ben. You might have solved it. So let's get into the technology in the Jetsons that hasn't quite come true yet. And these are some of the fun parts of any show that tries to predict the future. Because I often wonder, when you're in the past looking towards the future and making these technological, these science-based predictions, how are those predictions informed? And I think that's really a question I want to propose to you, Ben. Why do you think... This is the way that Jetson's world kind
2: of evolved. Yeah, so this is a classic uh, issue with older sci-fi from the 60s, 70s, and so on, where what they predicted was an energy revolution rather than an information revolution. As we know now today, we didn't find free energy in nuclear power or um, solar power or wind power. Energy is still... A difficult thing to, to solve, and that's one of the biggest problems in our current society. But what we did solve was information. The internet and all those things have made it so that anyone can get access to any information. And you see this throughout things like the Jetsons. They have flying cars and uh, moving sidewalks, which all require obscene amounts of energy uh, compared to the, tr- the technologies we have today. And they use them to still go to their jobs. Whereas someone today, you would imagine you'd have like a holographic cubicle in your apartment and you never go to your job at all because it's all robots and uh, telephony and internet.
0: Well, it's a great point because also Judy comes home with a stack of like cassette like things, you know, (laughs) where there's no, they, they miss the digital part of all that because even their computers, their 3D printing food is all. Punch
2: card-based computers. Yeah, there's a punch card for the recipe. Uh, yes, they just didn't have a concept of how small and miniaturized technology could become back then. Uh, and what we see today, where a cell phone has the power of you know, all the computers NASA used to go to, the, go to the moon and then some.
1: And Dan, I think it was very telling in your opening remarks, you mentioned the robot vacuum, which in the Jetsons they predicted would be nuclear-powered. And that is just such a common theme in 50s and 60s sci-fi. We understood nuclear power existed and everybody expected to miniaturize it. And that would be our power source. Um, And yet they missed miniaturizing computers, as we see in the Jetsons where there's a scene with the computer that is about 10 times as tall as George. Right. Well, and also, you know, let's extend that to the 80s
0: because the DeLorean time machine was also nuclear powered, which I thought that was very strange. Um, So you're exactly right. It's the energy versus information. But one of the things that, that I thought was kind of an interesting path that they went down is... It's a button centered universe, right? Like everyone's pushing buttons so much so that the first scene of the first episode is Judy in a holographic with a holographic um, exercise teacher. She's doing ergonomic button exercises with her finger because she's got button finger or whatever from pushing buttons all day. I-, I love this idea. You know, even George's job is pushing buttons. This was fun to me.
2: I like I loved it. Yeah. That. I mean, that's another big miss. No touchscreens. Everything's dials and knobs and buttons. You know, no one's tapping on screens like we have now. Well, I will say, though, in their defense, pushing a button is probably one of the funnest things
1: you can do. And my, I have evidence for this, Dan. The number of times my kids fought viciously over who would push the button in the elevator, um, I can't count. And so clearly button pushing is fun. So in a world where there's nothing else to do because everything is so futuristic, you got to keep the button pushing around.
2: Yeah. And there's something to buttons, too. Like uh, even in cars today, we still have buttons for our air conditioners and things like that because it's just more tactile and safer. Than having a touchscreen. Well, let me ask you guys a question because you mentioned cars,
0: uh, Den, and you mentioned you mentioned elevators. I imagine that neither of the three of us
1: were not really doing either one of those things. So, what is the last button
0: that you pushed, Den? I'm going to ask you first.
1: The last button I pushed. That's a really good question, since I'm not allowed to say elevator, um, which it would be probably. Um, besides an elevator. The last button I pushed was actually a broken button switch on a lamp in our house. Um, I pushed it; it didn't work because it was broken. But that is the last button I pushed. <laughs> fair enough. I'll take it. That's fair. What about you, Ben?
2: Yeah, I mean the elevator. You're st- <laughs> that's that's the, certainly the last one I've pushed is probably the elevator. But outside of that, maybe the like the air conditioner button in the car? <laughs> yeah, I
0: think it's tricky when you think about it because I was going to say remote control, but that's not really a mechanical button. It is kind of, but it's, you know, more digital. But it is funny because yeah. we don't have this. It's kind of been weeded out of our of our culture almost completely, which is why I love that it was the center of their culture. And that George works 3 hours a day. Uh what's
1: going on with that? Any complaints about it? What's going on there? <laughs> I think that is just hysterical, but it does show, I mean, Star Trek was kind of the same way, right? Star Trek, you didn't really need money and you worked because you wanted to. Um, George Cloy doesn't want to work at that job, but it is interesting, this idea that leisure would only increase um, and, and the work would decrease.
2: Yeah, I think it's a, an extrapolation of the uh, time and work reduction that people were seeing back in the day that people would have to work less for the same amount of productivity. And so they just extrapolated it to, people will only have to work three, four hours a day, and we'll just have a more productive society with more leisure. I guess
0: that's true. Three hours does seem, it seems like a short amount of time to get button finger, which he suffers from, uh, unless he's literally just jamming on buttons for, you
1: know, for 180 minutes straight. Well, well, Dan, it, it's the stressful anger of the bushing, button pushing. That's what it was. Right. Yeah, and that's think- why he was so tired and worn out. <laughs> no, I, I need right. a raise. I need a raise. <laughs>
2: Maybe they just put really strong springs in the button, you know, in the future, you know. (laughs) It's hard to push. That's true. I remember my grandma had a mechanical
0: typewriter, and I could hear her, like, pounding on those buttons. So that's possible. Um, It's very possible, but I love the button thing. I want to go back to something, my favorite piece of technology, and I know you guys are probably going to argue with me on this, and that's okay. But Astro. I love Astro. Everyone loves dogs, and those who don't should be removed from society. But what I love about Astro is he can talk. Now, I want to ask you guys, is this a technology thing or do you think he's evolved to the point of talking? And he's
1: also bipedal, by the way. But, but I feel like this is solved with technology, but I want to know what you think. I really, you know, Dan, we had discussed it briefly. Full disclosure, we do occasionally talk to each other before recording. I, don't, I hope that doesn't remove the curtain too much for the audience. Um, so I was watching this very carefully because I know you're excited about the technology. I feel like he actually evolved to talk. You know, I was I was I was looking at it and and I think there's a definite vocal cord change here going on. Um and because if it was technology, I would have expected the language to be much clearer. Hmm. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, I think with the bipedalism, he's definitely not a standard dog that we have today. But I'm gonna I'm gonna object to evolve and say genetically engineered because it's only you know 80 years in the future, that's not long enough for a dog to evolve speech and bip- bipedalism. He, uh, they, they did something to that, those dogs, so they're, uh, they're smarter and, Look, look, loc- locomote differently. <laughs> <laughs> you may be right. I don't know. I mean, there's this great experiment I did, uh, you know, you know,
0: I, I never shy away from a shameless pr- uh, promotion here, Denon. I'm uh, fascinating Nouns I did a whole episode on the evolution of domestication. And it is amazing how much uh, there's, there's these scientists in Russia who took foxes, feral foxes, and domesticated them, just basically breeding the most friendly towards humans. And the number, the sheer number of changes that occurred over a very small amount of time, uh, was was quite astounding. Now, I don't know if that's going to, going to increase their brain enough or make the right neural connections in order to give it speech, and that also includes changing vocal cords. It is a short amount of time. I'll give you that, Ben. But I don't know that it's out of the question, with but maybe with a little genetic engineering. Maybe it's a combination of both that did it. Um, but I'm going to tell you guys, I'm not solving it with biology for once. I'm going to solve it with technology. I think that's the way to go on this, guys. So I just read an article, I'm going to put this up on the website, about a company named PetPolls who basically took 10,000 dogs and all the different sounds, barks, whimpers that they make, and they put them in a database, created an algorithm. So when when you have this AI-powered collar that they've just put to, brought to market, and your dog makes a sound, it can tell you one of the five emotional states that it has, whether it's happy, relaxed, sad, angry, or anxious. I don't know why they didn't fit hungry in there. But I think this is kind of amazing, and this is just the beginning, With that technology going down a certain path, I think we might have this one.
1: Well, Dan, you know, it's very exciting that you say that, and it might explain the weird circular colors that Astro wears, because I've always wondered about that design. But, you know, as as, uh, as much as I strongly appreciate your analytical research here, I still feel in my heart that this was some sort of evolved genetic engineering, but... That's their world. I'm excited for, in our world, the collar you just described that solves it with technology. And I have some clue what my dog is doing late at night when she's whining at me incessantly.
0: (laughs) uh, We need answers to those questions, Denon. One of the other things guys my other this is my favorite technology from the show and I can't wait to talk about that and that is the instant hair salon. This is where Jane goes into the salon. A little thing comes over her head. It's very old style like in the 60s. My grandma used to get these little hair dryers put on her head. Uh, It comes down and it gives her a brand new hairstyle within seconds. I love this. Denon how do you think this is possible?
1: Uh, well, you know, Dan, I was a little mystified at first because I'm like, "What's going on here?" But then I realized, you know, it was—it seemed to be just changing where the hair is. So it was hair styling, not hair cutting. That helped me. I think that was a hint of of little micro manipulators to make that happen. I have a feeling, having had to occasionally um, do my ch- child's uh, dance hairstyle that hairstyling is probably easier than cutting at that speed with the right sort of robotic miniature parts inside. Dare I say nanotechnology.
2: I, I think you should dare, Denon. Dan- yeah, I think it's pretty simple. It's it kind of simple in that sense, that you could have a lot of little robot arms going on in there, you know, pulling and prodding the hair, spraying on hairspray, and just getting it to whatever style you want. And I think that goes along well with the general... Jetson's trajectory of, you know, solve the problem with energy and robotics. So though I do have an alternative
1: solution, Dan, that I'd like to throw at you. All right. So here's what it is. In between when she first sits down and all the styles she's shown, those are merely holographic projectors of what it might look like. And if you say yes, then they do the hairstyle and it takes longer. And because she chose the one she came in with... They didn't actually have to do anything.
0: I think that's something. Well, you bring up a good point there because she comes in with a hairstyle that requires very little hair. But the styles that she's shown that or that her hair is turned into are a significantly larger amount of hair on her head. It's almost Play-Doh-esque. Um, and I think you can solve that with foam extensions, Denon. I don't mean to step on your toes here, but I'm really surprised you didn't go with foam on this, given the sheer expansive mass that it takes to make those hairstyles.
1: Well, I think you're right. If it's real then you have to have some sort of foam involved to get that expansion. I'm with you, Dan. I'm glad I have taught you to be a master of foam. The 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 Padawan has surpassed the master.
2: Perhaps also in the future, no one actually has hair. They're all bald, and it just is swapping uh, preformed wigs. <laughs> that's,
0: that could be something, too. But he, here's here's the thing. I, I think cutting the hair has actually been solved. I'm surprised that, that this stumped you, Denon, because we have the fundamental piece of this technology right now, and that's the Flowbee. I hope you know what the floby is, but it's basically a vacuum attached to hair cutters. And I put this up. There's a guy. Uh, his name's Shane Whiten, and he has a web. Uh, he has a YouTube show called Stuff Made Here. And a while ago, I, p- I posted this video. I-, I shared it on my on my social media about him basically p- creating and programming a robot to give haircuts. He then did a follow up version of that. I'm going to put them both up. But what I love about this is it solved the problem. If you can have a, a way for a robot to suck hair into a tube and then cut it. And you can robotically program a 3D image of what you want a hairstyle to look like. I think this is actually very solvable and, dare I say, a revolution for the future. What do you think of our engineer, Ben?
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, Sh- you know Shane does is a great engineer, and I think his technology is certainly... Uh, the cause of the hairstyle revolution that we see in the, in the Jetsons. Right,
1: I, I, I will just want to clarify, Dan, I was more concerned about the speed for cutting than the manipulation, so I do want to clarify my, my earlier comments.
0: That's fair. I mean, if you have a tube that has enough suction, I think that might solve the the problem. And I imagine you could suck almost individual sections of hair if you really got this down instead of one big tube vacuum. Um, but I don't know. I, it's, that's for the future. But speaking of Suction tubes, this is, I-, I love this part of the Jetsons. This is another one of my favorites. And that is this infrastructure that they have, this pneumatic tube-based infrastructure where they can zip around everywhere, be it school or be at the park, uh, be at the store. I love this. And I wonder, is this possible? Did we miss the boat on this not having pneumatic tubes? Denon, I'm asking you first.
1: Well, there really, there's a couple issues with it. I mean, one is how often George just falls into it. Um, I find hysterical, um, and who knows where he's ending up because it's not turned on when he does. Um, and there does seem to be a- an issue with sometimes you're riding it in a chair. I'd feel a little safer there, um, but to get the suction that you would need to go the distances they're going. That worries me a little bit about the differential forces on the body. I leave that a little bit to our engineer. Um, I love that it's push-button driven, so that's a plus. There's a sort of, I feel, like kind of a safety feature in that. Um, I'm not sure what the safety feature is, but it just feels like there is one. Um, but it is definitely going to the energy um, comment Ben made earlier because there is no doubt that this is a very costly from an energy point of view. I, I forget if they actually ever say where they're living, But in the very first episode, um, the daughter is arguing with the mom about going swimming after school. And Hawaii was too far away. But when she finds out she's going to Acapulco, she says, well, that's okay. You'll be back in time for dinner. Um, Wherever they are, those are the two places you're considering going. um, That's some pretty large distance to travel in these pneumatic
2: tubes. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two things. So, I mean, pneumatic tubes are real technology. And this is, again, an extrapolation of something that they had even older than that. Pneumatic tubes were very popular, and there were pneumatic tube networks um, in a lot of cities, but they were used for sending letters and things. It was very popular in, like, stock trading and other businesses where they would send messages between buildings uh, very quickly without, like, saying uh, couriers or post offices involved. Um, But once you try moving a person, it gets a lot trickier. You know, the, the forces on a person are very high, you know, a person weighs a lot compared to a letter. And so the pressures you would need to move somebody would be incredibly high. And if there's a leak, if there's a, a, a crack or something, you know, the the acceleration a person could experience in that case uh, could be very high and very uh, injurious. So it, it seems unlikely uh, that a person could really do that. And you'd almost certainly have to be in like a pod. Uh, you couldn't just be in the tube open like that because uh, then you'd have to be, you know, blowing air at like hundreds of miles an hour in that thing, and that seems very dangerous.
0: I was going to ask. I-, I imagine you can't breathe in a vacuum, so <laughs> oxygen would be a problem.
2: Yeah, well, it's probably not a true vacuum. It's probably just a higher, high and low pressure um, with the with, if you're in a capsule. Um, if there's no capsules, then it's really just a wind tunnel (laughs) and you're just getting blown by the wind tunnel.
1: And, And the other problem is what, I mean, just from a practical point of view, we never do see the tubes outside, right? The buildings don't look connected. So you really do wonder how they're getting around when they leave the building, um, So that is a problem. But they are transparent, maybe. I don't know. But you don't see all these people zipping around. You just see their cars flying around. So there is a practical construction perspective.
2: Mm -hmm. I think in that sense, it's underground. I I imagine, you know, we know their building is on stilts. So I I assume it just pops them in the ground. I like that
0: solution, Ben. There's a lot of technology that's associated with it as well, which makes me wonder about the underground thing because they have a student homing button and they even have like a a grabber that they went and grabbed Elroy with once through the tube. Uh, So I wonder how that would work because that seems very vital to finding people should they get lost.
2: Yeah, well, I assume the grabber is just a local grabber at the playground for you know parents to grab their kids and shove them back in the tube when when necessary.
0: <laughs> that makes sense. Sure, sure. Well, I, and I love the I love those advancements for sure. Um, now, one of the things I want to talk about, we mentioned, we've already talked about the walkways, the the conveyor belts uh, in outside, but there's this great scene where Elroy's going to bed and he gets put on a conveyor belt and he's brought through his changing station. He take, gets showered. He gets dry, talcum powder is applied, and he's even dressed, all within a matter of seconds. I love this, and I don't know if this is possible. I imagine having your clothes quickly removed by a robot would both be terrifying, but with a little bit of prep work, it could probably be done. But I think speed is a factor here,
1: but, but I love this.
0: Denon, I know speed's your thing. What do you think about
1: this? Oh, I think this is great, and I'm not too worried about the speed. I, I can really see most of this happening because you could have foam-based High-concentration cleaners, um, obviously. Right. Obviously. Um, I'm a little worried. You know, the, the rapid removal of the clothing, it may just be a, an actual design feature because, again, energy is not a problem. So the clothes may actually be effectively torn but then repaired overnight immediately mm. um, with, with automated sewing. Um, getting the clothing on is always a little tricky but um, not impossible. Um so I, I kind of like the idea, and it's actually something that really appeals to me. There, there's moments where what you want is a nice, long, relaxing shower or bath. I get that. But there are definitely moments where I am just like, really? I have to do this again? Like, turn the water on, get in, wash, get out, <laughs> right. dry. And, and so this whole thing, uh, now that it's randomly apparently in the living room was a bit odd. It's weird. But, you
0: it's know, super weird.
1: I like the general concept. Yeah, especially because you get
0: naked at some point. It's a little odd to be in a family the family room. Well,
2: yeah, well, I, the the whole apartment setup seems a bit weird <laughs> with with where the machinery is. But I think in ter- in general, like you know, I don't I I don't know if they had tearaway clothes back in the '60s, but we certainly have it now. And I don't see any reason why, you know, it's not just advanced, you know, magnetic stripped or maybe even electrically attractive uh, stripped. Uh, clothing, where you know, it just all splits in half, and the robot just you know whips you know whips the clothes right off of you, and it tears away, and then. When it uh, puts it back on, it just uh, seals back up those seams, and you know you're done.
1: I <laughs> like that magnetically sealed clothing. I'm all for it. <laughs> There's something so strange about that, but I think I think that is the solution.
0: Uh, I didn't think. But you could know, go you know, there. Dan, it kills two <laughs>
1: birds with one stone. Absolutely. You have the magnetic sealing of your clothing and the magnetic healing of the magnet.
0: Right, and a third, which is your privacy, because those things could fail at any time, uh, and you could get right. accidentally the pants to school. I <laughs> think so. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to wear magnetic that in clothing, but I love where you're going with that. Um, so the f- the last thing we got to talk about here, guys, is George's George's bed, because apparently he likes to sleep in a lot, and Jane doesn't like that too much. She has an injection system built into his bed, and the bed can retract into the ground, which is the most advanced Murphy bed I've ever seen. Uh, I love this. Uh, ben, from an engineering standpoint, how feasible is this? Because I want one.
2: Uh... <laughs> I think in some ways it is feasible. We, you could certainly have, you know, we certainly have like sofa beds today that fold up and could kind of pop you out like that. I don't, it, it, it's probably dangerous. <laughs> uh, you know, you you got to stay away from all the uh, high-powered uh, springy bits that that actually have the energy to propel you in any specific direction. But I, I think we, we could do something like that. Uh, you just have to be careful that you don't, you know, get launched into the ceiling and uh, hurt.
0: (laughs) That's very true. Uh, Then what about the physics of this? I assume it's not impossible, but is it tameable?
1: You know, it's definitely not impossible. And it's really, as Ben said, it's about fixing the spring strength just right to nudge you out of the bed and gently land you on the ground. The problem is you will always land... Whatever speed's required to launch you up in the air is the speed you'll hit the ground with. Right, um, and that's where the calculation comes in. And so, unless there's a parachute system or some sort of bungee cord system to slow you down on the other side of the bed, you will hit the ground pretty hard. So you want a soft floor. Okay. Yeah. Fair well,
2: enough. there's there's the foam, Denon. You know, you, and you just have you, a, you just have yep. some foam pit uh, foam right next to the bed and. Soft landing, no problem.
1: And you're good to go.
0: I love it. Well, we've, we've come to our errors, additions, and omissions section, and this is a perfect timing because, Denon, I got two omissions for you, and that's two, count them, two foam opportunities where you could have brought foam to the masses, and Ben and I had to pull up your slack. You need to respond to that.
1: Well, I just think I'm sharing the wealth, Dan. I mean, there's no reason that I should be the only one who gets the pleasure of talking about foam. So I'm very excited that you guys caught on, brought it in. I've trained you well. Um, but I will like to say I'm, I'm, I've been wondering about the the general clothing issue. Um, and when we think about errors and additions, um, there's a lot of circular rings that they seem to wear, particularly around their ankles, that just float in the air. Hmm. Um, so I'm really wondering about is this – more magnetic. And I feel like Ben solved my error for me. If the clothing is magnetic-based, that may be the way to have things float um, if they're magnetically suspended um, around the ankles, the wrists, and the other designs. So yes, miss the foam, let you guys cover that up. But I'm also learning a lot in this episode from Ben about magnetic clothing.
0: I think Ben might come out with a new product line. We're gonna that maybe the next move for him. A lot of celebrities are moving into the fashion industry. Ben, are you doing that? And do you have anything about this episode that we missed?
2: Yeah. Well, so there's a few things. One thing I really liked is that uh, there's a there's one episode where there's bad weather at the apartment and the like super of the building just lifts the apartment makes the stilts even higher so that they're above the weather i really appreciated that the idea that you could just move your building up so you get out of the weather uh so i like that and then i think just in general i like just the kind of joke that it's a nuclear family and they also have a nuclear dog and you you know you know it's the true nuclear family here where everything's nuclear powered no
1: i I love that that that's really great dan I do have to add one other error admission that's a very physics one, if that's okay. I know I had passed the baton to Ben. But that is the dog walking scene that closes every episode. Um, I'm still trying to figure out. I think it's a perfect assignment to assign in a physics class how fast much that dog tread be going. So that George actually stays stuck to it as opposed to falling to the ground when he's on the bottom.
0: <laughs> I think that's great. I want to know. You need to report back to what your students come up with. I think that's a great. That's a great problem for them to solve. Um, I got to ask you guys. What is a sprocket? That is
1: my question of the day. What is a spacely sprocket? I think it's like button pushing. Dan, they needed to make something so they could ch- pay people money. I, I guess so. Well, he was. He was
0: also a digital index operator and. I don't remember them having digital things in the 1960s. All their computers were punch card based, so I thought that was a little odd. Um, you know, I mentioned the no homework, the homework tapes. Uh, there's no computers; it's the big stack of tapes. The one thing here, guys, and this is very concerning, and I'm, I'm really curious uh, if you guys have any opinion on this. But Elroy is the only one that has deep, dark, black pits for eyes. Uh, they're almost dead inside. It's a little scary. Uh, it's very unsettling when I looked at him because everyone else has the whites of their eyes. I want to know what's going on with that. Um, and of course, we got the. We're talking about magnets. You got a police officer who's got a large magnet, and that's how he catches George in one of the episodes. Uh, I love that. Very Wily Coyote. You guys know my feelings on on Wily Coyote. But if we've missed anything, there's a lot to the Jetsons. You can get in touch with us on social media. You can find the show on Twitter at Pod and on Facebook at ftriplegbt. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you?
1: Well. People can find me on all the major social media, that is Twitter and Instagram, if you just flip my name, Denon Michael. Um, but you can also find me on Facebook. you got to stick Prof in there, Prof Denon Michael. little
2: extra work, but it's worth it to get to Denon. Uh, ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at bseepser.
0: How do you spell that?
2: B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R.
0: And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram at Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. Now, I got to tell you guys, people listening, if you find yourself in possession of futuristic technology that makes mundane chores easier for the entire family, make sure you are responsible with it. You want to be a George Jetson, not a W.C. Cogswell. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear Based Technologies Introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, if you like this show, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? The good news is we're on all the major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now Spotify. If you're not already on those platforms, don't worry. We've made it very easy for you. Go to our website, F triplegbt.com that's f triplegbt.com where you will find links to everything you're looking for all the subscribe buttons at the bottom of the page links to our social media are right there and if you go to the top of the page you'll see a little button that says episodes click on that and go to your favorite episode There you can find the show in its entirety. You can find the links that we talked about, the in real life examples that we brought to you, including videos. And of course, we've got each episode has its own YouTube video. You can watch it there if you prefer. And if you like this show, you're gonna like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.